sometimes when you do analytics, you have such a big responsibility that at the moment you might not realize the impact, but you're making a huge impact on people's lives. Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Today's guest is VP of People Analytics at Schneider Electric, Gustavo Canton. Gustavo has been with Schneider Electric for nearly three years, where he's been a change agent driving innovation across Schneider's growing data initiatives. Today, he sits down with Cindy to discuss automation as a means to augment, not replace humans, rebranding HR for the 21st century, weaving people analytics into stories, giving end users what they really need, even when it's not congruent with what they think they need, and what a team builder can learn by observing sports behind the scenes. Gustavo also shares the backstory on his role in bringing gas stations to Sam's Club while just a graduate student 15 years ago. Tune in for all of that and more with Schneider Electric's Gustavo Canton. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for you to use search and AI to analyze your company's data, lightning fast. Business people at companies like Walmart, Hulu, and 7-Eleven use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can too. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Today on The Data Chief, I'm really excited to introduce everyone to Gustavo Cantan. Welcome, Gustavo. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. Happy to be here. Great. Now, Gustavo, you and I met in one of the most beautiful places in the world, La Place de la Concorde in France last fall. But where are you dialing in from today? Yeah, so I'm very far from Paris right now. I'm actually back in Atlanta, Georgia. So welcome to my home. This is my condo before renovation. <laughs> so you're getting me in a transition time. But as you can see, it's very sunny outside. We are in Georgia, as many of you know, uh, starting to get back into normalcy with all the disruption to the pandemic. So it's been interesting and challenging at the same time. But I feel like for those who don't know me, and, and I am a, a huge proponent of uh, analytics and using data to support things like well-being. And so in this time of disruption, I want to really see how can I collaborate with you and others and figure out ways to learn from each other so we can support our employees or customers in society in general. So happy to be here. Yes, great. No, and you and I share a number of passions. You've been in the space for a very long time, more than 15 years. Um, let's start first with as VP of People Analytics at Schneider Electric. Tell us a little bit about what Schneider Electric does, who, who are not familiar with the brand, and how you use data. Sure. And for those who don't know Schneider Electric, and by the way, before I joined the company, I must admit, I didn't know about Schneider Electric. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I got contacted and I started researching about it. And just so everybody knows, the mission of the company is to ensure that energy is a basic human right. And when I say that that purpose of the company is the number one reason I decided to join the company, that's an understatement. I truly believe that it's a company that does a lot of good things or can do a lot of good things for society in general. We are a very global company. We are in a hundred plus countries. And in my role, people analytics, 
I am under the basically supporting HR, but as I like to say, people analytics is not about supporting HR. It's how do we support people, including our customers, and we need to be looking at data across the board. So I've been with the company in, I started my journey 2017, July 4th. So I'm going to be in my third anniversary coming soon. And it's been a great uh, journey because it was basically an opportunity for me to come in into organization that didn't have a centralized function for people analytics, verticalize the function and transform the function from a more reporting-based kind of team to a much more analytics-driven, forward-looking organization. And that's the journey that we're in today. That's great. So Schneider Electric, huge company, over 27 billion revenues in euros uh, per year, over 155,000 people globally. That's a lot of data. Correct. And that's one of the things that attract me to this organization because one, it's a lot of data and it's obviously fun to, to do data analytics, obviously. But also there is a lot of opportunity to empower and help people from all over the world. Even just within my team, by the way, shout out to people analytics team. Uh, we have people from, let's say, uh, Australia, Spain, Ireland, India, the US. I mean, we are all over the China, all over the world. And it's a, it's a true uh, subset or representation of what the company looks like. Very diverse organization. And as you mentioned, 150,000 plus employees across the world. So that makes it very exciting and at the same time, very uh, complex sometimes to manage and drive uh, change management and, and solutions. Right? Yeah, change, change is hard. I would also say that people analytics is hard. So I've often said that unless you work in professional services, HR and people analytics is often treated as a forgotten child as it relates to other data and analytics priorities. Do, do you agree with that? Not not with respect specifically to Schneider Electric, but in general for most companies. What do you think? Yes. Well, if you see these surveys from when they talk to executives today versus, let's say, I started in 2012 in HR formally, right? And so in the last eight years, I have seen a huge change in the appetite. So if you look at the executive and the C-suite, they really want to establish the function. Sometimes they don't understand how to do it and what it takes to do it. And that's why most organizations, I would say, don't reach the maturity level that they are supposed to reach. And that causes also the issue with getting the, the buy-in that, you, that you're referring to. But I have seen a lot of, um, I see, I seen a big shift in the mindset of organizations in Europe, Asia, the U.S., all over the world. But I still agree that there is, uh, in my opinion, and I might be a, bit, a little bit biased, compared to what I was in marketing and strategy, for example, I see an underfunding in terms of the technology and resources that should be allocated for people analytics to be able to, to grow within the organization, right? It takes a lot of investment to make sure that you can truly make that transformation happen. Yeah, so, and you can say that because you started in marketing analytics. So I, so I do wanna come back to that because I, I think people analytics, it's such a rich data source, but often an untapped data source. And you hear CEOs say, people are our most valuable asset, however. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's often not how they're treated. And you shared a quote recently 
that I'd like to repeat here, that we are not thinking machines that feel. Rather, we are feeling machines that think. Why do you so love this quote? Tell us a little bit more about this. I mean, I I do have a lot of passion with people, and I do have a passion for maximizing human potential. You know, and what that means is that throughout my years being in this uh, space, I started in the technical realm, like hands-on, doing the analysis, doing the coding, learning day-to-day. And I realized over the years that perhaps we are not really sometimes maximizing potential of our talent within organizations. We are trying to make them do work that is much more suited for an algorithm, a robot, a computer or a program than what the human is supposed to be. And so what we should be doing and thinking, and this is one of my main goals for the year, is free of people's energy so the humans can spend more time doing what humans are good at. Creativity, empathy, communication, influencing. Those are the kind of things that we need to be spending our time, right? Repetitive tasks and things that are, let's say, reporting-driven that we can automate, we should let algorithms and robots take care of. Okay, so that's a really bold statement. So you want to stop the reporting tasks that are repetitive, let the AI take over that. So is AI going to kill jobs of the reporting analysts? I don't think so. I mean, I think, let's take my team, for example, right? In my team, if you look at it, let's say in the beginning, 90% of the team were uh, working just on reports right? And maybe 10% dedicated to some kind of analytics, what I would call really advanced analytics, regression models, forecasting models, those, those sort of things. Over time, what is happening is there is a shift. We are automating, automating, automating all these processes and all these reports. There is still ways to go in, 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 in our roadmap. We are not uh, anywhere near the end. But still, that being said, we are allowing our team more time to actually do consulting, right? We're allowing our team more time to actually do change management, to actually do learning sessions. Because as you mentioned earlier, the change management component is very, very critical. Like if you do a great job with analytics, but you don't explain your HR community, your marketing finance teams, and you know, everybody privacy, technology, how things are really making a difference in the business, then you might as well uh, you're, you're it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of organizations don't even factor in the change, change management. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, going back to your point about the reasons why sometimes it's hard for organizations to get people, the, the value of people analytics, I think that's one of the main barriers, right? The change, ch- the lack of change management. Yeah. There is a disconnect. Yeah. And so you've been able to reduce the time spent on re- reporting the higher value things that I would say also require different skills, listening, communication, a consultative workflow is very different from a report order taker workflow. Exactly. And also learning the business. I mean, in the end, this is the part that really is very interesting to me. In year 2020, and this is my personal opinion, we keep calling our function HR. And the consequence of that is that there is a baggage in terms of how people brand HR. People think about HR administrative work. I'm going to get your payroll. I'm going to do this thing for you for your leave. You see, there is a, a notion of it. And I think we need to start thinking about people division, 
or as you mentioned, like this is the actual as the, the most valuable asset of the organization. And what is this function should be doing and how it's actually connecting to the business. Yes, or if talent. You, yeah, or talent. For example, if you look at most organizations want to be more agile, right? More data-driven. For you to be able to accomplish that, step number one is you need to hire people who are more digital. You need to have an environment, an organization that is designed to be more agile. You know, so there are some things that you need to figure out. And the best way to get to that answer or that solution is to leverage people analytics in your organization to make it work, right? So do you need to hire the talent or do you need to train the talent? I think in many cases, some of the talent can be of skill, right? And in other cases, if you have very specialized skill sets that you need that perhaps you didn't have before, you might have to hire from the outside. I'm going to go back to my team because in my team, there were people with very good skills in engineering, for example. Some of them have some good consulting skills, business knowledge, you know. But we were missing some talent in terms of, for example, data architecture, right, that we have to bring from the outside. IO, IO psychologists, we have to bring from the outside. So there is all these different skill sets that you need to bring in for people analytics. And in the end, I'm not thinking so much about the, the output in terms of a, a visualization. I'm thinking more in terms of a story. People don't remember sometimes the numbers mm -hmm. or they might not remember a yeah. table, but they will remember the story, right? Yeah, data storytelling, I think, is one of the must-have skills for anyone in business, in data. That's the way to compel people to action. Otherwise, it's just a number. Yes, correct. Or a report. So, and also, I would say, so in, in Schneider Electric, are you using the term HR? Because I would never, in, in our organization, refer to somebody in HR anymore. It's either talent <laughs> or people ops. It is a little <laughs> insulting. I mean, today we're still called the organization, I guess, HR, but when I talk about our function, I usually refer to people analytics. If you look at the way I support projects, I talk, I want to talk about, for example, I care for business continuity. Like in these times, you know, it's very important to, for us to support business continuity. That is important to me. It is important also to talk about workforce availability, you know, to make sure that, hey, what are the critical roles and talent we need today to support the organization? and make sure that the, the, the lights keep going on, right? But also, I think about the workforce of the future, right? What are the skills, roles, and talent that we need for the future that we need to start recruiting today or upskilling for the future so we are prepared for that transition? So instead of thinking about the traditional HR function, that's kind of how I frame it in my head. Right. So let's talk about the business continuity in a global crisis Yes. Um, take us through how did how did in Schneider Electric you first identify who could even work from home, and then how do you bring people back to the manufacturing facilities, the distribution centers safely? Yeah. So, I mean, there is a a myriad or many many teams working on this, as you can imagine. Right. So there are the safety teams that manages kind of like safety well being. We have a or talent team. We have obviously the HR function itself and operations who are the actually ones, the one who executes facilities. I mean, there is a myriad of things that work on this and kudos to everybody in China Electric that has been working, you know, nonstop in these times to make sure that our employees keep safe. That's the number one priority in making sure that we can serve our customers in a safe way. 
kudos, like big kudos to that. I think number one, we have all the way to systematically understand who is, you know, who is working where, have the equipment, have the network availability for people to be able to go and work remotely, right? So there are certain jobs that obviously we can mainly work remotely. There are some other jobs that require to be on site. It's just the nature of the role. Obviously, we have tried to minimize as much as we can any interaction so we can avoid uh, cases or, or issues with impact, right? But I think step number one is have all the different things identified, create business continuity plans, and gather those business continuity plans across the businesses so we know what are the critical processes, critical stakeholders, and critical uh, sites that we need to pay attention. And obviously, we need to be working very closely sometimes locally with the governments to see how things are going to be reopening yeah. or getting shut down, right? Because it's different country by country, region by yeah. region. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, in here in the U.S., I mean, even there is a huge difference between how things have been managed in New Jersey for you and how things have been managed for me in Georgia. Like That's a very good example of the extreme, right? Exactly. And so when I think about employee safety and how this is will be different for 2020, 2021, new data things like who um, had their temperature checked, who's been allocated a face mask, things like this. Is Are these all new data types that you're having to account for? So actually, it's interesting you bring this point because right now we're doing this exercise, right, to understand, first of all, what are all these different data sources that we can gather internally and externally, and we are partnering with several uh, companies to understand better what, what is possible, right? There are leading indicators that you can gather from depending on which part of the world you are. So there is external data the same way that you would have external data to say, hey, there are cases around your 10-mile radius vicinity, and that will give you an indication of if you should keep a site open or not, right? There are other data sets that we have in the company. This is the reality, and I want to be very clear on that, because we have so many sites and so many systems, the challenge is to have all the data in one place, right? I think the exercise today is trying to get all the data in one place, make sure you, we invest on a system that actually allows to have all these different data activities that you mentioned. And then from, her, from that, having the right solution so to allow the people to get the answers quickly, right? Yeah. That, that's kind of how we're thinking right now. So, how, so you have multiple data sources, new data sources. You have internal data and external data from your leading indicators. Uh, where, where are you pulling all this into? Tell us a little bit about the technical architecture. In the way we work in HR, we have supposed to be a one data source, which is TalentLink, right? That is supposed to be like our main, our main data source, but there are other many data sources that we can gather information, right? We have in our team our own data sandbox, as we call it. And so now we are basically gathering requirements with different stakeholders and going through privacy, security, you know, those things as well. And this is very important because things uh, very massively by country. And we need to be careful on what kind of data we can have in that one place. But my point being is that this is the exercise that we're doing right now, right? It's trying to see how can we streamline this process because today, in many cases, it's a very manual process to get the data from the countries, then put it in one place and try to make sense of it in, in a tool uh, per yeah. se, right? Yeah. And so if you think in normal times... 
some of the top questions as it relates to people analytics might just be headcount, salary, fairness, things like this. What were the top uh, indicators or KPIs, your first use cases as you modernized? Well, for example, we always in the people space or talent space make investments on high potential, high performance, right? So one of the, the main questions was, what is happening with this group? Are we getting them what, you know, are we serving them the way they are supposed to be? Are we giving them the tools for them to be successful? Are they getting promoted at the right rate? And also, what is their engagement level compared to other populations, right? So this is, an, this is one example of a use case. And also, this, I'm sure this is very common across organizations, is to understand turnover. Right. Yes. Why yes. do people leave? <laughs> Why do people leave? Exactly. You don't want your high potentials leaving. <laughs> exactly. But once I got, and this is very important, once we got all these different requests from the different leaders, because let's say we started with six use cases in the first phase when I came in, right? It was not only about getting the use cases. It was about trying to wave a story among all use cases. And we wanted to have a story that basically goes like this. We know through external database from job boards, what are the skill sets that we have in the company versus the skill sets that are out there? How do we close that gap? So we use data to create scoring algorithms to help recruiters to focus their time on how to recruit, I guess, more efficiently by using less resources. So that's one area that we advise, right? Then from that point is we have programs today in the organization to reward and recognize employees. And so the question is, how are those programs with recognition improving or contributing to performance? So we get to that. And then, like I mentioned, we look into talent to see how are we doing with those high potential groups, high performing groups, and also how do we make sure we retain them? And going back to the business continuity piece, which is very relevant today, we are trying to see how those business critical functions are basically behaving in these times, right? Because Let's, let's say uh, if you have somebody working on cybersecurity, for example, or in digital uh, roles that have to do the very critical reporting, those people need to be, uh, you know, on site. We need to give them the right support. And if they were to leave, we need to know quickly how can we succeed them accordingly, right? So turnover, still a hot topic, but more in the context of this continuity rather than just turnover in general. Yeah. And so using AI for some of these things like recruiting and even rewards, are you finding concerns about the degree that AI has some biases baked into it that were potentially overlooked? And how do you mitigate for that? I mean, yeah, I think everybody who does analytics understand that algorithms, AI and so on, you train the algorithms so to speak, right? So there needs to be a company of monitoring and, and basically double-checking that what you're doing is actually making sense. So I'll give you an example. Right now, we are doing a, a use case uh, that we're going to launch in NAM, which is North America, for those who don't know, very soon. And the idea is how we're going to use this tool with AI to help the organization to make very quick decisions in terms of headcount allocation, talent movement, which, which is one of the key questions that we get asked today. Now, the issue today is that sometimes it takes 
five different spreadsheets to get the answer to the information. By us having one solution, one portal that they can all go in, we are hoping to basically free up their energy and save them 10 hours per week per employee. Like that's, wow. that's, that's a lot. 10 yeah. hours per week. Yeah. That's a lot. So normal work, work week, 25% depends on how much, uh, yeah, could, could be more uh, depending on the hours, but that's huge. I think, yeah, I think so. But I'll tell you this, it's very doable. And going back to your point about, you know, does this mean some of these people are going to lose jobs because we are reducing the amount of time? I, my answer is no. I think you will reallocate the work in a different way. And these individuals that today, let's say an HRVP is spending four hours trying to clean data or reconcile numbers, that is going to go away and they can just focus on how can they spend time in communication, change management, or things that are much more critical for the role as opposed to just clean data or the reconciliation, which is honestly a waste of time. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, but some people are nervous about that. And so one of the reallocations or shift to the higher value work that you shared with me is a vision for not just looking at performance, but also the well-being of the employee. These metrics, I would say most organizations, it's just an idea right now. Where do you stand with this? Yeah, so last year, actually, I did a presentation for an innovation summit that we hosted in Schneider Electric, and the title was uh, People and Leaks with a Purpose. And again, I don't think what I don't think what I'm doing is just uh, this is not just an idea that that sounds nice. If you look at the research, organizations that have a purpose actually overperform at the same level that the most innovative companies in the world in Silicon Valley. So I know they, I have that data. So we, yeah. <laughs> we're going to go down a rabbit hole here. I love this stuff. <laughs> so there is there is tangible value for the organization in doing this, right? So that's number one. Uh, and number two. There are data sets that are very interesting. For example, the air quality in the facilities. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but air quality is actually a higher driver of health than sometimes your genetic makeup, meaning your how you were born with your gene from your, you know, your family genes and so on. And the reason I bring this is because we cannot disconnect the human, the individual from the performance and, and the, and the business results. You know what I mean? So totally. Yeah. That's why I go back to freeing up your energy is such an important metric for me because one of the areas that sometimes we struggle is people have too much to do in very little time. And we are right now in a time of scarcity. For example, you know, companies are uh, experiencing reduction of hours. Sometimes they have to make tough decisions in terms of eliminating roles. So we have to do less with more, right? So how do we do less with more? Well, we need to identify some of these drivers that truly make a difference like well-being, which, by the way, is one of the areas that when we did our uh, engagement uh, survey, which we call the One Voice, had the, the, the highest impact in engagement actually was coming from well-being. And from I'm talking well-being, about, yeah. yeah. And I'm talking about cost and effect. It's not a correlation, which for those who don't understand, we actually look at a model to see, and there are many metrics that contribute to the model, but well-being is not the only one, but it's the one that came at the top. Right, this surface demo. So, this is already for me a good indication that number one, our uh, HR leader are paying attention to well-being, and they are making uh, programs and things like allow for more flexibility, 
in the hours. We are very good at uh, work-life balance. Uh, we try to do to do initiative with work-life balance, with mindfulness, and so on. Mm-hmm. And so we are making these steps. There is a lot more to be done, and obviously, I want to keep gathering this data and start producing more models to show the value or the connection between well-being and performance. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No. So uh, as part of my MBA, I looked at work-life balance. So this is going back 20 years, Gustavo. And I looked at the relationship between work-life balance of graduate students and their grades. And uh, there was the higher, the people that said they had more work-life balance had higher grades. And that was 20 years ago. So I think we've improved in our thinking of this. But how do you measure well-being? What What is the type of data sets you're looking at? Is it things like office vibe? Or is it, there was a prediction from Gartner at one point, the percentage of employees that uh, Fitbit data you would opt in for. How do you actually measure well-being? What are the data sources that you use for this? Yeah. So I would say today we are taking small steps, right? So we have data, like I said, from our, that we use from survey data. Survey data. Yeah, there is survey okay. data, and there is also data that we capture through the sites team. Like in the facilities, like for example, if you go to the or hub office in Boston, the air quality is 98%, and they can tell you based on certain sensors how much people are in the office, which parts of the office they use the most. You know, that kind of information is the kind of data that we want to start uh, looking into more detail, right? But yeah. There is a lot more stuff that we can do. There are companies, for example, like Humanize, that they specialize on using uh, data from biometrics data to see the stress level of different teams, how interactions create uh, different responses in employees. We are not there yet, but this is kind of the area that I would would like to be. And (laughs) to tell you the truth, I am a researcher, right? So I want to have, obviously, more data more information, but that's what we have to partner very close with privacy and security because, again, there is a lot of work that needs to be done to prepare us to be able to do that that kind of work, and hopefully we can get there soon. Yeah, definitely. I also think you mentioned facilities or offices in Boston. Boston is one of the smart city initiatives where they look at the temperature, how cold or how hot are the buildings, and how that correlates to absenteeism, um, efficiency, air quality, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got your start in data and analytics when you were a graduate student in Arkansas yes. and doing a project for Sam's Club. Tell us about that. Correct. So this is a, a very interesting story because this is the sales pitch that I was given to join Sam's Club. I'm an engineer. I'm ready to have my last year for my master's degree. And I was going to go into the traditional engineering path, I would say, of going to like a facility or a factory or something, you know. But uh, somebody recruited me and told me, uh, Gustavo, you should come to Sands Club. You love to do statistical models and use data. And we have one of the best data sources in the world. You will love it. So that was my that was the sales pitch. So I went to Sands Club. And my first project, and at the time, remember, this is 2005, people didn't talk about analytics that much. Like, the term was not even popular. BI. BI. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't even think big data was really being used as a term yet. Correct. Yeah, it was not. 
And my first project, I was an intern, Cindy, was to figure out by using internal and external data the impact of opening few stations inside the box for the sans clubs. It might sound like a very simple project to do, but let me tell you, you are talking about one of the biggest employers in the world, who, by the way, in the U.S., have many different brands, like Walmart Supercenters, Walmart uh, Neighborhood Markets. We have Sands Club. So you are competing within this huge organization to make the case to open more Sands Club. And you are saying that a, a strategic decision is the use or not of fuel station. I got to Sands Club, and a couple of weeks after I started my role, and they gave me the, the, the task of my project, they said, you have three months to do it. I went to the CFO of Sands Club, Wait, me, wait, wait. So you're an intern. I'm an intern. You're a lowly student and yes. you're telling the CFO what to do. The, well, the CFO <laughs> is the opposite. The CEO invited me to his office and he said, Gustavo, well, thank you for, for taking this on this project. Let me explain you what is the, the importance of this project. He explained me the importance of the project. But to tell you the truth, Cindy, I was very junior in my career. I didn't really understand the magnitude of the, of the, like the upside or the downside of the project, right? And he told me, Gustavo, this is going to be a big, it's going to be a big, a lot of tension with finance because finance have a point of view. The real estate committee, this is going to go, this goes to the board of directors of the organization. And, and there is a huge committee with the CEO that looks at all that stuff. So that was my first assignment coming in as a junior intern for a three month break. And to give you a long story short, in the end, after a lot of debates, a lot of meetings and a lot of work with uh, analytics, we came up with a model that was widely accepted within the company. And actually, I took it also to the academia and to the industry to be basically uh, peer-reviewed by other executives from other companies uh, in the area. Wow. Right? So they let you share it externally. That's unusual. They let me share not everything, but for the most part, the methodology, the findings, and the consequence or, or the find or the insights that we got from it, right? But the reason I have to do that is because it was such a political topic that I needed to have internal buying, external buying, and industry, uh, like triple stamp. You're stressing sure me possible. out <laughs> just <laughs> describing this. Uh, were you laid back about it or only afterwards did you realize the magnitude yeah. of the work? Honestly, I, I came to really understood the magnitude of it afterwards because I was so into the actual work that I just wanted to get the work done. And by the way, for those who know about Sands Club, if you go, most Sands Club today have a few stations outside, right? Right. And this same argument then was brought to the Walmart because Walmart also had the same a business question. Should we have few stations also in Walmart, right? So again, I have to do a similar thing. When I move to Walmart, I have to go and actually do a business case, work with my team. This is a huge group effort, not only with me, with people from finance, real estate, the fuel division, the insights team. So uh, my point with the story is that sometimes with the, when you do analytics, you have such a big responsibility that at the moment you might not realize the impact, but you're making a huge impact on people's life. Yeah. I mean, we, I 
we said this in a when I was at Gartner with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. Yeah. It is huge. It is huge. I'm sure everyone's going to be Googling now how many Sam's Clubs have fuel stations. <laughs> and Walmart too, yeah. And, and Walmart too. That's huge. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Fast forward then, you did a lot of data and analytics at, at Walmart, and you, you actually championed bringing in technology from what was then an unheard of startup, ThoughtSpot. How did you ever make the case for something like that? Yeah, so to give you some background on how do we do that in the first place, every year we used to have a summit, and we call it the Innovation Summit or the Analytics Summit, right? And the idea is we will basically tell all vendors, open it up, open, hey, give us basically uh, an explanation of what is that your company is sold for, why you are best in class, and what areas you think you are best in class. And then we basically have a committee that reviews all submissions from all, all vendors. And then for like three or four days, we will actually be in an outside location. We bring our teams and other teams to see and hear from all these vendors. And some of these vendors are super well known today. Uh, but then when they started, where sometimes, uh, you know, they are just in the, in the beginning stages. And I have seen them grow over the year. In the case of Totspot, we knew that the typical BI approach was not the right approach for us. It was not really fulfilling the needs that we needed because the traditional BI model is the basically the person is trying to fish for information as opposed to the information come to you, right? And that's the way it should be. And so in the case of Totspot, there are several areas that starting to look into this uh, technology or, or different way of looking at data at the time. And we were one of the things who were basically lobbying to make sure that the organization give it a, a pilot. I always say, once we have these best-in-class solutions, the minimum we should do is to pilot. I mean, pilot, oh, yeah. yeah, understand what they can do, understand how, it, you know, with, with the Walmart data, which is a huge data set, right, that you can imagine, what can we do with our data? And in some cases, it's just experimenting because you learn from experimenting. Right? But even to do a pilot, you need people, you need bandwidth, you need funding. So it's how do you prioritize what you pilot when every startup, every cool technology vendor is making a pitch? Yeah. Well, I guess it comes a little bit from experience. You know, you need to, one, you need to understand what is your goal. Like I, I mentioned earlier, our goal is very clear free of time and energy from people. That was our goal back then as well, right? So that's number one. So if we want to achieve that goal, what are some of the tools that are available that we can create the right infrastructure with the data, the research, the analytics, knowledge management, all put together to accomplish that goal? And so we, we basically do a lot of testing and assessment with these uh, organizations. We involve our technology experts and so on. Shout out to Schneider Digital that help, is the one who helped us in organization with all the IT-related uh, uh, requests and assessments. And then from there, we have to make a, a choice, right? And we have to, to work with somebody. And in some cases, like in the case of ThoughtSpot, we look for organizations that are not rigid, that are open to look at what the customer is looking to do, and they will basically help co-design and co-build with them. 
And one of the, the things that caught my attention with Toughspot is that they were very willing to work with us to get to that goal. Like so co-innovation co matters. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's very important. And I saw, I, I went to San Bruno in California to see how the Toughspot team helped or global e-commerce function to actually simplify the reporting. So I seen not only uh, like from the ground up, how the company works, but I have seen also the end result and the success transformation of the reporting for those teams. So this is to me a good example of uh, a good partnership between companies. And, and I would say now it's not electric. We have looked at many different companies and we have been doing something similar every year, looking at who are best in class, what companies are coming up. We read all the time about new technologies. And again, Toughspot has shown that they have continued to invest in technology. They are continued to invest in their design. So we are partnering with them in this initiative that I mentioned, the pilot that we're going to have in July with NAM, because we feel that what they are solving for is exactly to what we need to solve for Internet Electric, which is free of simple energy. Thank you. So if you think about some of the key value proposition. There's search, there's AI-generated insights, there's the data scalability. What do you think was most important or continues to be most important now in 2020? Hmm. I think the most important is, and there are many factors, but I think the most important is the ease of use. Ease of use, yeah. Yeah, because if I were to look at the exchange management component, one of the big hurdles that we have sometimes with the end user is that some of the tools in the market today require too many clicks or the navigation is not intuitive or the performance might not be the best. In the end, what I care for is to free up your energy. And in this case, what this tool does for me, in my opinion, is that it's very intuitive, right? And it's because you are used to, to see Netflix, for example, and in Netflix, you go in, you search for the movie or show you want to watch. Netflix gives you a recommendation. I think it's very similar here, right? You have a tool that you work with it there in the back end. And the user, they, they go in, they can either search for the information that they want to have with the NLP assisting you in how to narrow down your search. Or you can have already uh, pinboards or dashboards already made. So you can just go in and click. So I think in that regard, that's one of the things that, that I look at the most. Well, we do think about the design making it as easy as your favorite consumer app, whether it's Netflix or the iPhone. But I, I, if I can think back to an interesting conversation you and I had about how to evaluate new and disruptive technologies. And you shared with me some dynamics when you were first trying to bring in ThoughtSpot about how the BI team evaluated the product with their traditional RFP evaluation framework, and it was like a lousy product. And then later on, they changed the weighting. So how do we change our evaluation frameworks, or how do you evaluate a startup or new capabilities without a good framework? That's a very good question. And to your point, you know, you are going to get the result or the test that based on the way you are designing the test, right? So in this case, if you have a specific set of questions that you ask, 
from the technical standpoint. And that's how you want to evaluate a tool that will give you a specific answer or a choice, yeah. which is what happened in this case, right? There were uh, a set of 200 questions or 100 plus questions. And at the end, when you look at Tuspot, you might not understand the value that it brings to the end user in terms of freeing up the time, which yeah. is actual goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I guess to answer your question, I do think the analytics teams and the business and the end user, they need to be able to convey to IT and technology teams and so on, what is really going to make a difference to them. That's no hard. How, how do you yeah. even articulate it? Like we, we, we use as a comparison the iPhone, if you'd say, or even the iPad, when it first came out, you'd say, what a lousy device. The screen is too small. There's no keyboard. There's no USB drive. If you compared it to a traditional computer. So do we just abandon an evaluation framework or what do we do? I think you have to ask different questions. I mean, that's, that's basically what it comes to, right? And the question is, what is the user really looking for, right? Because if you talk about like this company that you're talking about, it's about relentless innovation. And let's, let's take example of the, the iPods or Apple in general, the philosophy from Steve Jobs, right? His philosophy was not, I'm going to give the customer exactly what they're asking for because sometimes they don't know what is going to be the best for them. And, you know, you have heard these uh, analogies about uh, making it more user-friendly and, and allowing you to make changes to the system and so on and, and being able to be more flexible with the, with, the, with the Apple products. But that's what makes it much more user-friendly, right? Basically, it's the same here. You need to understand what the user is telling you. You need to know, you know, what is the technology or technical aspects that you need to divide. But there needs to be basically a, a lot of trust. And this is, this is the key to me. There needs to be a lot of trust between the analytics team, the end user, and IT to listen to each other and understand, okay, I understand why you have this privacy or these security constraints in this technology. I know as a user, what do I need to give you in the end for you to be able to use it? And for me in analytics, these are the things that I need to be able to have in order to provide insights or visualizations or quick answers to my leaders. Like if that discussion doesn't happen and there is no trust, which sounds a little bit, it might sound a little bit uh, inconsequential. Cliché. No, no, Cliché. no. Exactly. Tr no, trust is huge. And exactly. there's a ton of distrust in both within a company and with outside providers. And I think also is trust, but also is communication. Right. Because again, this, this goes back to why it's so important for me that we spend time in influencing communication, change management, as opposed to just repetitive work, because it takes a lot of time, you know, sometimes to bring everybody on board, to buy into that vision together and to make sure that every, every part is being considered and move forward together. Right. If I look at a relationship as a team between Schneider Digital, people analytics, and HR three years ago to where it is now, I see a, a big shift in terms of how do we communicate with each other, how we trust each other, and and also how do we uh, leverage the tools, right? Because even if I do a great tool for you or, or a great dashboard, if you're not willing to give it a try and play with it, right? 
it doesn't matter. You have to be able to buy into it and to, and to use it. So I have seen a big shift in it. And like I said, this is a big journey and we're going to continue this journey for many years. But I do, I am happy to see that there has been a positive change within the organization in that respect. Good. So well said. So you give back so much to the data and analytics industry. You give talks around the world. You do podcasts. What What are your go-to resources, books or podcasts or events for keeping you inspired, keeping you up to date? Besides my current job, I am very interested in anything that has to do with human potential, right? So there are famous speakers, like, for example, there's a person called Simon Sinek. Many people know him. He's a he talks a little bit about research and behaviors in teams, organizations, and what makes people succeed or not. I, I, I pay a lot of attention to what he wrote. Uh, there are some books that people write specifically about how organizations can work better. I think, I don't know if you hear about uh, one called The Innovation Mentality by Glenn Jopis. But I read several different authors. The one thing that is in common is about they're looking at maximizing potential, Sometimes about well-being. Personally, I follow a lot of podcasts that have to do with performance and training because I like to see what top-level athletes, what they eat, how, you know, what is their behavior, what kind of things they do to stay uh, healthy and perform in such, in such scenarios. So I like to keep up to date with that. And besides that, I listen to many podcasts on analytics, obviously, from companies yeah. like HRD Leaders, Obviously, like now you have the, this podcast, uh, I've been paying attention as well. HR Business Review, the traditional you know, publications that talk about a workforce and so on. And also the consulting uh, firms, right? You know, McKinsey, Accenture. I see whatever uh, research they do in the topic and yeah. try to stay up to date. Yeah. That's great. What athletes eat. That's a scary one. I have a swimmer and an O-lineman, and I was reading what O-linemen eat <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. So do you use sports in the way you approach your team or a coach coaching mentality or mindset? I think you can learn a lot about sports in terms of how to, you know, look at things. And there are moments when teams are under a lot of pressure or there is a lot of uh, team dynamics because teams are forming and you need to build trust. So I come from a very, very uh, social country. I'm from Panama, right? Latin Americans were very collaborative. The family, the, your your community is super important. So we are very tight knit. And if you see how I grew up, I grew up playing a lot of team sports: baseball, basketball, football. Right. Football meaning soccer. Soccer. Uh, yeah, right. Football. Okay. Just to football. Football. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got both football going on in our house, so it's okay. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, we play both. We play. I play the American football and the football, the soccer. Right. Okay. But in any case, it was mainly team sports. That's how I grew up. Over time, I've been doing more and more individual sports, like uh, weightlifting, calisthenics, cycling, and so on. But I think the important thing is, as a leader, I need to be adaptable. I need to adapt to my team, right? So in some cases, there are some instances that I need to make sure that we are very collaborative, very inclusive, and we can come together to an agreement on something, and that's how I manage the team. In some cases, there are instances that an individual might be making a case with a specific knowledge or technical expertise. And, you know, we might have to listen more to a specific... The self-motivation rather than... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And in many instances, many of these big organizations or disruptive companies that we 
uh, admire today, let's say, you know, Apple, uh, Facebook, Google, and so on, they came from an individual with a very strong vision that actually disrupted the market and shaped the organization. And today incorporate, uh, going back to the, to the human being and individual, we need to do a better job taking our talent and understanding how each individual can make a contribution and shape the organization as opposed to always organization just basically shaping the individual behavior. Makes sense. So you mentioned family from around the world. I understand you have family in beautiful Hoboken, New Jersey. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So, so if you look ahead, what do you think? Where are we going to have our next coffee? Will it be in Paris or in Hoboken, New Jersey? Well, based on things that are going right now with travel, it seems more likely for us to meet in Hoboken. That's okay. The cake boss. We'll, we'll meet at the cake boss. <laughs> <laughs> and I always like to end with, Gustavo, when you think about what are you grateful for? And of course, uh, today, you know, there's, there's health. But a lot of people have a, we have our regular answer. But when you think about beyond the typical answer, what are you grateful for? I think I'm grateful that in these times, especially when things sometimes can be seen hard or uh, there is a lot of uh, challenges across the world, I am grateful that people are coming together, right? And what I will tell you is that what I'm noticing in my company is that a lot of people are truly forgetting the, the notion of teams and they are just thinking about collaboration among networks. Right. So I'm very grateful for that because I do believe this disruption, even though it's very tragic, what is happening in the U.S. and many other countries around the world, is giving us an opportunity to look at the world differently. And hopefully after things get better, we're going to come with a different attitude in which we are more grateful, first of all, and have more gratitude for the things that we have, but also that we have learned that there are different ways of getting things accomplished. Like, aren't you surprised how many companies are able now to function remotely that they didn't know they could do it before? I've been working remotely since 2012. So for me, it's nothing new. But I have a lot of friends. I was talking to my cousin a couple of days ago. For years, I've been telling him, why don't you try to work from home? And the company didn't allow to work from home. Now the company, because of this, have to shift their mindset. And they have learned that, hey, people can be very productive if they can work from home. So shout out to all the people working from their homes today that they are actually now learning that they can be very productive working from home and very engaged and do their work. And in the end, the company and their their health is okay, right? So yeah, and trust. And we yeah. have that better air quality. It's all good. Yes. It's all good. Yes. Gustavo, thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Likewise, Cindy. Thank you all. Please stay safe. And hopefully we're going to have that coffee soon in New Jersey. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or listen to more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout on Twitter at BI Scorecard. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. 
With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.